Okay, you could start whenever. Welcome back to another episode of the Born Again Again podcast. I'm Katie. And I'm Joe. Today, we're excited to be sharing a conversation we had with two wonderful therapists, Kayla Felton and Kendra Snyder, who together have formed the Reclamation Collective. In this episode, we cover a lot of ground, but we're focusing on healing without recreating your trauma. We talk about how codependency can show up in group contexts, about how many of us have given away our power to spiritual leaders in our past, the benefit of group discussion in your reconstruction process, and we wrap up talking about some practical questions to ask when hiring a therapist. We really enjoyed this conversation, and we hope that you do too. So hey guys, thanks so much for being on our podcast today. We really appreciate it. Um, I think let's start with like some brief introductions. And Kendra, let's start with you. And I know you've been on our podcast before, but like tell us again, like who you are, what you do, and just like a brief like history of your deconversion. Yeah, thank you. It's great to be back with you too as well. Um, So I am Kendra Snyder, and I uh, have a private therapy practice in St. Paul, Minnesota, where a big uh, focus of uh, my work is actually supporting people who identify with religious trauma and or any type of adverse religious experience. Um, So I'm a trauma therapist, an attachment therapist, and uh, I'm really passionate about supporting people. at kind of whatever step and in whatever way their healing journey looks like. Um, so I, that's a professional uh, passion of mine, but it also comes uh, out of my own personal story. So I was, uh, I grew up in an evangelical fundamental environment and um, was very much like the star of the youth group <laughs> and uh, uh, <laughs> when, I think a lot of us can relate yes, to yes. <laughs> yes superstar Jesus, superstar um, and uh, I went to Bible school for my undergrad and actually went to seminary for my master's and um, so was planning on going into full-time ministry and um, along the way uh, my you know, my uh, experience with the church and my relationship with my faith started to change. And kind of one of the big catalysts of that, uh, where I started my deconstruction process was actually in my graduate program. Um, So I just had started to be uh, exposed to different thoughts and more of a liberal theology and um, progressive and just started building relationships with people that a, did not think the same as I did, nor were raised in the same type of community, which just really started to expand my own um, thoughts and viewpoints. Mm-hmm. And so simultaneously with that, my husband and I were experiencing our own specific trauma in the church that we were both in ministry at, and he was full-time working there. Um, so it was kind of the combination of having a very a specific traumatic event um, that Mm -hmm. compounded on lots of prior adverse experiences and indoctrination and smaller, bigger and smaller traumas um, while I was uh, 
developing relationships with people um, who had different experiences and upbringing and beliefs than me that really kind of blew that world open for me. Um, And a big part of the last decade uh, when I started my deconstruction process has been about uh, through my own therapeutic work, um, reclaiming my uh, sense of um, intuition and really tapping mm. into who I am as an individual and where kind of uh, learning how to trust my own internal voice. Um, and that's really been a part of, that's, that's a big part of what I help people in therapy do as well as kind of connect to themselves yeah, on that beautiful. deeper level of knowing. So yeah, that's a little bit about me. That's wonderful. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. And then Kayla, I would love to hear to your background. We haven't ever spoken to you on the podcast before, but I'd love to hear a similar snapshot of kind of how you got mm-hmm. to be where you are mm-hmm. today. Yeah. Well, my deconstruction, I would say started pretty clearly when I was about 19 years old. I was in the process of studying abroad. And that's when I just learned that the faith, my faith of origin was not, certainly was not culturally universal or universal or accessible. And Mm -hmm. I just was learning a lot, honestly, about like colonization and how very much of like my faith had been very much colonized. And um, yeah, so that was like a rough topic to kind of start my deconstruction on because I had to do (laughs) a lot of self-work and reflection, reflection of like working through a lot of guilt and shame around some like mission trips that I was a part of. In fact, while I was studying abroad, I was, we were working with a short term mission organization. And so I was just really wrestling with a lot of just discomfort of trying to lean into like, why does this feel unnatural and uncomfortable? Mm-hmm. And it was as I just unpacked it, my, certainly my privilege, but also just like church history of mm-hmm. colonization. Mm-hmm. I just realized that like my brethren belief system, which is the, I should say, that's the, uh, faith of origin I'm coming from is a pretty fundamentalist evangelical um, belief called, well, church group called the Brethren. Um, okay. More specifically, the Plymouth Brethren. I grew up in the northwest suburbs of Chicago. And um, yeah, so the beginning of my deconstruction, I just felt like this is a problem with the Brethren. And then it took me about seven years after that of trying out some like vineyard church and Um, still trying to find other more like progressive per se Christian communities. Um, and yeah, about seven years later, about three, four years after I graduated from undergrad is when I just realized like, I'm just bitter and anger every time, angry every time I enter and exit Mm -hmm. this church. And I, when I reflect on it now, I can see very clearly that I think I, I think the last 18 months that I was still attending that church was where I was really just grasping to still have a connection to my culture, to my family culture, to like my upbringing, Mm -hmm. um, because that's really the part of the brethren that I think I most appreciated and that I most still like miss and honestly have to grieve um, is this concept of beloved community. And so That kind of brings me to my reclamation journey, which is what I'm really excited Mm -hmm. to share today, because I really want to help folks um, kind of understand how we use this phrase reclamation Mm -hmm. and how we're trying to approach reclamation as a clinical intervention, but also as just like a community conversation Mm -hmm. 
that helps to inspire healing and normalization and also just like tapping into your pleasure and your mm-hmm. autonomy and your identity. So, yeah. so, um, cool. yeah. So I would say after I stopped going to that church is when my reclamation journey really started where I was being mindful of like, okay, now that I'm not just like Kayla, a child of God, a child of Jesus Christ, what is, well, how do I fill that sentence of like, who am I? Sure. <laughs> and Who am I? Yeah. Yes. That's a big question. Mm-hmm. Yes. Especially in your like early mid twenties. And right. um, yeah. So I started trying to like figure out how would I present myself now that Christianity isn't something I can kind of lean on as my entire identity and the root of all of my values. Cause it wasn't any longer. Um, and I think for me, what I've been doing over the last, yeah, decade of deconstruction and ultimately deconversion has been trying mm-hmm. to reclaim beloved community. Mm-hmm. And now that I'm doing a lot of work around spiritual abuse specifically, I've been facilitating these monthly support groups for women who have experienced spiritual abuse. I'm really realizing how vulnerable so many of us are who grew up in whether it's a fundamentalist community or a culture of isolation and, you know, kind of having this leadership and authority over you constantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it can be really hard for us to like grieve that. And instead we try to recreate it and try to recreate sure. it in a safe way. And so for me, I look back on the last 10 years of my life and I have joined so many other cults <laughs> and cultures and communities mm-hmm. that I was like, this is actually what unconditional love is supposed to look like and feel like. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. this is like a safe authority figure. Like this is a person I can project all of my trust onto, mm-hmm. which yeah. has resulted mm-hmm. in a lot of heartbreak mm-hmm. and a lot of um, <sighs> just a lot of kind of joining systems and upholding systems that like in retrospect i'm like i don't believe in those either um and it was just like recreating trying to find a community that was totally going to show up for me and Mm -hmm. in part i've had to do a lot of deconstruction around codependence and what does that look like Mm -hmm. in a community context because when i look back at my upbringing and what i'm hearing from a lot of folks in our support groups um is that a lot of us grew up in contexts that really positively reinforced codependence. Mm -hmm. And it was this, like, you lean on, you cast all your cares upon him, and you also come Mm -hmm. to the community if you're having an ailment or an issue. Um, You don't don't go to a therapist, you know, you don't go to a secular, worldly person. You go to the church, you go to the pastor, you go to um, an elder. And... Mm -hmm. um, and so that being said, now I think I still am on this journey of reclaiming beloved community, but I'm trying mm-hmm. to like let myself truly grieve the mm-hmm. codependent elements that honestly I've been addicted to for a long time. Yeah. And it's still mm-hmm. showing up in my body. I'm still finding places where I'm like, I really want to lean on you in an inappropriate amount right now. And I see myself doing that with friendships, with partners, with, Mm -hmm. um, with just like people that I've taken on as mentors, whether or not there's like any formal like mentorship or relationship, like people that I project a great deal of trust and authority over my life on and realizing Mm -hmm. like I'm the one who has to break that cycle. Cause Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. some of these folks don't even know that I've projected that kind of power onto them. Mm -hmm. 
Sure. Mm. So I've heard the word codependency used a lot, especially in the context of like one-on-one relationships or romantic relationships. Um, I've never heard it used in the context of community, which I think is really interesting. But I was wondering if you could just explain briefly what what you mean by codependency. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that codependency is just when you're like really leaning on someone to fulfill parts of your identity and your purpose and your meaning. And so where, I mean, it is easiest to explain in like a relationship, like a two person partnership where it's like, mm-hmm. I don't feel myself outside of you. Mm-hmm. I need your approval. I need your permission to do yeah. what I want to do with my life and my body. Um, yeah. Do more. Well, I yeah. I think that's beautiful. How I kind of talk about it in with clients is when we struggle to know where we essentially begin and end mm-hmm. and where someone else begins and ends. So mm-hmm. it's this mm-hmm. idea that the lot you really lose your essence and yourself to to become part of this collective identity, whether that's between two people or a whole community, like a religious community. Mm -hmm. Um, And you lose that sense of individuality and differentiation. Um, So it it can, as we all know, it can be very, very dangerous because we don't know where our personal boundaries are or our limits or Mm -hmm. our needs because we essentially don't know where we begin and end. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. I can totally see how in a religious community, especially like the ones we're familiar with, that's like the goal of being in religious yeah. community is to lose yourself yeah. and become one with mm-hmm. the the collective. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. I mean, how many mm-hmm. of us have like at some point said like, I am nothing, like I yeah. am less, he is more like all yeah. of these phrases that we repeat to ourselves, which therapeutically is like really negative self-talk. Yes. That was like, yeah. we were singing this in worship for years of our lives was right. really negative self-talk. It to be like so positive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like thought it was so good. Yeah. Yeah. So, Kayla, from the time that you kind of realized that you uh, weren't going to find what you were looking for in these different communities, what did that process look like going from that point to where you are today? Because I would imagine right now you're feeling less codependent on community than you did years ago. You know, what what were some of the, I guess, steps that you took to work through that stuff? A lot of the steps is that, unfortunately, it took a lot of like... Um, recreating my trauma for me to even become conscious of it. Okay. And so I only really started using this phrase religious trauma probably three, four years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I only stopped going to that church, the vineyard church I was a part of for a couple of years, maybe five or six years ago. Okay. So for me, a huge part of this has just been building language. Um, and that's still the process that we're in right now is the Reclamation Collective, but also me on my personal Reclamation journey is just trying to create language to concepts that are super relatable that a lot of other mm-hmm. folks in my like personal social network, we totally ha- are on a similar trajectory, but there's not a lot of language that that's been created, mm-hmm. honestly, yeah. just because. And so I think that for me, finding phrases like religious trauma, leaning into like, well, what does that look like, feel like, sound like? And um, then being able to talk about it, first of all, with my therapist, mm-hmm. um, who I've had for a couple of years now, I totally believe as a therapist in therapy that I'm way better mm-hmm. prepared to hold space for others because I'm navigating my own stuff sure. with a professional who I pay, who's mm-hmm. real good at her job. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> 
But so I think for me, it's been so much reflective work, so much just like learning from others who've been on a similar trajectory, who have gone before me and like gone through a deconstruction and or deconversion process. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, like that's how I've also like regained a healthier version of beloved community is that for me, I'm building like really deep, intimate friendships with individuals and always reminding myself and them that we have autonomy. Mm-hmm. Like you yeah. don't have to do anything to please me. And I'm not obligated to be friends with you forever. <laughs> like, cool. It goes both ways. Yeah. Yep. Cool. <laughs> yeah. So it sounds like a lot of the inspiration for starting Reclamation Collective came out of your experiences navigating your own traumas. Is that right? Definitely. Mm -hmm. That and also having just a lot of folks like naturally in my social network um, who were also going through similar things. Mm -hmm. So I know that like I was also exposed to a lot of folks who had different kinds of religious trauma or adverse religious experiences as part of their story, which helped me really connect like this is a big picture. This is more than just like. I'm mad at my dad. Right. This is like lots of people are having this, having to grieve this process of losing an identity or a culture or a connection to like a social network. And like, how do people then recreate systems where their basic needs are met, their basic needs physically and emotionally when, you know, I, I know folks who, for example, For example, I have a lot of, I think, empathy and patience. I'm trying to have more patience, but I have a lot of empathy for older generations Mm -hmm. who are going through deconstruction and or deconversion because I have people in my family, for example, who their employment is rooted Mm -hmm. in their faith identity. Mm -hmm. Their their marriage, their decades-long marriage is rooted in their faith Mm -hmm. identity. You know, both sides of my family came from brethren roots. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I mean... All of this really runs deep, and a lot of times those systems really take it personally when mm-hmm. you do access your autonomy. Sure. And they take it because that's the codependent culture, mm-hmm. right? Is yeah. like if you don't believe what we believe, then you're somehow challenging or rejecting or disrespecting us as opposed to celebrating like, oh, are you tapping into inner peace and relational harmony there? Cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah. No, exactly. Cool. I like that you guys both talk about creating language for this type of stuff, because even as you're speaking, I'm not used to all of the phrases that you're saying, but I think Mm -hmm. like it needs to start somewhere that like, I think that some of these things need to be taken like a little bit more seriously and put words to, I guess, because like, otherwise, I don't know, you just see like forums online of people like who are just like, I'm hurting and like have no like words for it. And like, and everyone else is like, it's okay. I feel that too. But then there's like, no, like. I don't know, processing there and there's and, and like no real healing and no real naming of what's actually happening, you know, and all of that. So mm-hmm. that's great. I think mm-hmm. it, it needs mm-hmm. to start somewhere. And I feel like it could probably be really daunting for you too to kind of like have that language and, and, this. and talk, mm-hmm. trying to talk to people and like getting them to understand what this all means. And I think all of us have that a little bit with our families, even trying to like put language mm-hmm. to what we feel. It's like really daunting because other people aren't acknowledging it. You yeah. know, acknowledging yeah. the, even the the what it means behind these words and all of that. But yeah, yeah. So tell us a little bit how you two got together and started forming the Reclamation Collective. Mm-hmm. Tell them about how you wooed me. I do. <laughs> <laughs> can't wait to hear the story. <laughs> well, um, absolutely. I you know I have 
to totally just um name that like this is Kayla's baby and like her brainchild oh, wow. and her like the manifestation of a vision um and so i just saw on facebook one day this person post like is there any religious trauma therapists in the area that you know are are working with this demographic and of course this and is of like, course no there's not <laughs> <laughs> um it's very very limited and so you know i saw this just by happenstance and uh reached out to kayla and was like we have to get together you're totally speaking my language and this is you know part of my practice that i specialize in and we got together for coffee this is back like early summer like of June, 2019 yeah. mm-hmm. so we have i feel like i've known her in another lifetime but <laughs> in this uh in, in our experience on earth we've known each other for less than a year um but we just hit it off and you know have similar uh passion and and mm-hmm. desire for creating uh a support uh, avenue and language for people that have experienced similar, similar, uh, you know, hurtful and traumatic experiences. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, what would you add to that? Well, and I would add, after I met you, then about two months later is when I just was, like, coming to realization that, like, I need someone to to help me. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. I have taken on so many projects, yeah. and I've promised the internet so many cool things. I've, <laughs> um, like, promised, yeah, just people on the internet that I'm like, I need to show up for this demographic because clearly people are wanting mm-hmm. to attend support groups. They have wanted me to start online support groups so it's going to be more accessible to people who... Um, don't have access to a secular therapist, mm-hmm. let alone a, a trauma specialist mm-hmm. or a trauma-informed clinician sure. in their community. So um, I approached Kendra and I was like, you are exactly who I want to be doing this work with because I really want, if we're going to be the people starting to build language around this and we're really seeking to get clinical and scientific validation for like, the work that we're doing, we want to get research on this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know how there hasn't been. There's a part of me that's like, why hasn't there been? Mm-hmm. There's also a part of me that um, I actually do have some theories for why that is. And I think we can change that because we can change a lot of this language. But I want to have it be informed by people who also identify with religious trauma. Sure. Because mm-hmm. I, I really hold to this concept that like anything about us without us is not for us. Huh. And um, cool. I like if that. this is like about religious trauma... But we're not actually having folks who identify with religious trauma inform and guide kind of the language and the work that we're doing. Yeah. Then, yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah, we could be causing harm. You know, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. you're right. Mm-hmm. So, um, besides that, what what are some of the things that you think separate Reclamation Collective from other online support groups and things like that? Because I know there are a few floating around um, that other people mm-hmm. have taken a part in. Mm-hmm. Well, for one, um, part of the vision from day one has been like just doing whatever we can to make this as inclusive for as many folks as possible. Mm-hmm. We acknowledge and um, we acknowledge that not everyone's going to feel safe in some of the spaces that we're holding. Um, and maybe that's partially because of some of the different intersections of our identities, mm-hmm. Kendra and mine. Also, perhaps just because folks may or may not be in a place to hear people either processing like a lot of bitterness and anger and resentment towards a faith of origin and others might not be in a place to hold space with folks who are actually trying to reclaim or reconstruct within a faith practice or identity. 
So what I think makes us unique is that we are really trying to hold space that is free from like anti-religious rhetoric Uh because we want to be inclusive that Mm -hmm. like if a faith practice or identity is a part of your reclamation journey, if you are accessing inner peace and relational harmony, then go you. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's welcome. Cool. Yeah. And and we both are pretty open. Neither of us identify as people of faith. And so we do think that that's important, too, so that folks hopefully um, know that we don't have a message. We're not trying mm-hmm. to get anyone to do any specific path. Mm-hmm. We don't believe that there is one path mm-hmm. to healing or reclamation or one identity that we want everyone to come to the mm-hmm. same conclusion on. That's exactly what we're all trying mm-hmm. to deconstruct and shed from our our. Lives. Of course, <laughs> no, yeah. exactly. Um, We're all just trying to get healthy, yeah. and there's probably a lot of different ways to be healthy. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Cool. Yeah, I love that a lot because, like, I've, I think I've always struggled with people telling me what my path is, and like, mm-hmm. I think like in the back of my mind, like, kind of knowing that it's got to be different for everybody, and just like now finally like able to say, yeah, it is different for everybody, and be like confident in that like okay fine like i need to just stop like caring if other people are telling me what path to take yeah you know because i know what it what my path should be in a sense you know like obviously it's i love that like these groups exist because like i think like it's really good sometimes to see examples because sometimes you can be so lost and like even where to start but yeah I like that yeah. you guys talk about that a lot, like, because that's really, really important for me. Like, just there is no one path and like there should be no yeah. message. And just you need to like, it's hard as I think people coming from faith to like practice like having intuition, but like you need to start like tapping mm-hmm. into something to, that's leading you where you need to go and yeah. what's important for you. Mm-hmm. But that's just been a really big part of my journey now, I think. So mm-hmm. I love that you guys mentioned that. Yeah. And you did, you touched yeah. on it earlier too, but that it's so easy. I think at least for me, I experienced it's so easy to leave like a rigid faith, faith system and then really want to find something else to follow or like find yeah, yeah. some other path, defi- well-defined path to follow. And for me, at least one of the most uncomfortable parts of recovering from my involvement in religion has been learning to trust myself and learning learning that in every case there might not be somebody else who's going to be able to tell me exactly what I should do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, exactly. Yeah. So that there's like freedom in it, but it's also really difficult to learn how to yeah. live in that, in that like middle ground in the tension of, you know, yes. not having everything laid out for you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I think that's one of the biggest things that sets reclamation collective apart is that a, we, we have, really no agenda other than to create space where people feel the freedom to engage in their own deconstruction or uh, and or deconversion and reclamation journey. And um, so our support groups are really facilitated in a way that it's led by the group. We don't have an agenda. Um, we have guiding questions. Not guiding. They're not even guiding. They're just prompting we questions. We just have discussion questions. Mm-hmm. Um, All of our curriculum right now is just 100% discussion-based. Wow. There is mm-hmm. some psychoeducation components to it, mm-hmm. um, and that's part of why, as of now, all of our support groups are facilitated by a licensed mental health professional. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can also share this kind of guides me into another thing that I think makes us unique. Part of our intention is to try to really – we're still doing the work of deconstructing and like creating our thoughts around spiritual power inventories and like if 
the whole concept of spiritual abuse implies that there's spiritual power. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I think in most relationships, even if it's outside of religion, if someone has spiritual power over someone else, Mm -hmm. it's often neither party is often conscious of it, right? Mm -hmm. So it's one thing if you go to a pastor or a therapist, for example, these are folks that we often do access for guidance. Mm -hmm. Whether or not that's what they're offering, that's usually often how we like tap into that role. Yeah. Um, and with a pastor, because it's part of the title or a therapist, you know, you have these letters after your name that imply you can be trusted. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, unless there's like, I, I don't like this word accountability. So I, but I have, it is the most accurate <laughs> word to what I'm trying to get at. Um, obviously that's a trigger for right. my religious trauma. <laughs> yeah. But if you don't have systems of accountability for your spiritual leaders, then that is where we are all so vulnerable mm-hmm. to sure. being. Um, abused mm-hmm. by those systems, especially if we're not even conscious of it. We're not yeah. putting language to, oh, you have a power over me. When you tell me to do this with my body or with my money or with my whatever, mm-hmm. like you are, there's not true opportunity for enthusiastic consent in this relationship because of the power dynamic. Mm-hmm. But if we're not conscious of the power dynamic on either side, mm-hmm. then it's so hard to hold these systems accountable totally. or these individuals accountable. So that's also part of why I'm really wanting to model for mm-hmm. spiritual leaders how to take inventory of what spiritual power you have yeah. um, to make sure that w- if there's not currently systems of accountability for you, that like you're creating them because mm-hmm. you're responsible to hold the folks that you're working with to, to protect them. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm encouraging, you know, folks to, like myself, who have, who are working on breaking cycles of recreating their trauma, to take inventory of who has this amount of power in your life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who are you actually going to for guidance? And do they have? Is who would you go and report them to if they were to abuse your trust mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. break a boundary? Mm-hmm. Um, and do, have you? Do they even know? Yeah. Have you used language to communicate that I trust you a lot, and I this is what I'm expecting you to show up for in my life, you know? So I think that moving forward, one thing that I'm, um, I think that's something I'm hoping in the future does set us apart too, that we're really trying to key in on this conversation about spiritual power inventory, who Mm -hmm. has it and how do we hold it accountable? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Oh, that's great. I I would imagine that that's something that for a lot of people, they don't, even realize who's holding power over them yeah like you said yeah yeah Mm -hmm. um because i I know there's been a lot of things in this deconstruction process that it feels like we're waking up to things you know waking up and having realizations like oh my god i didn't realize i had been giving so much authority to this person and i don't have any reason to or like maybe i don't even actually respect them but for whatever reason my whole life i've been giving so much authority uh, to this person. And it's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's kind of shocking. It's hard to uncover that on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, and so do you find, is, is that kind of one of the benefits of these discussion groups and meetups is to kind of process with other people through that? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you, Kayla, tapped into it earlier. Like a lot of us found really community in our faith of origin and our faith communities. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, for me, that was a positive element in some ways. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've really grieved a lot of that. And so 
uh, people coming together and hearing other people use language that's maybe new or at least validating and um, encompassing of pieces of their own journey, I think is incredibly just naturally therapeutic. And um, I just think when, uh, at least we've seen in our support groups that, that people really find a lot of healing through uh, being uh, in the same space and hearing other people share pieces of their story that formerly they felt really isolated and uh, mm. separated from. And honestly, that's how we build language to share yeah. our narrative is by hearing mm-hmm. other people's narratives. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause it helps externalize yeah. our, our experience because so mm-hmm. many of us don't have language because we aren't actually processing it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. when you're in a room of all these people and that's what we're here to process together, mm-hmm. we all can build language together. Um, mm-hmm. Which is really empowering. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so I know when we spoke to you last time, Kendra, you were explaining that you like to refer, instead of religious trauma, you prefer the term adverse religious experience, right? Um, and is that something that you guys have kind of defined as a rec- reclamation collective? And is that one of the sort of terms that you guys are are using unique compared to other people? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think both terms are both religious trauma and adverse religious experiences um, are valid. Like religious trauma is trauma, period. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, in collaboration with t- some, two of our colleagues that are um, actually part of um, uh, an organization called RTI, which is the Religious Trauma Institute, um, we have created a definition for adverse religious experiences um, as an umbrella term that really were our hope and intention is that it would um, provide kind of a wider breadth and scope of people's experiences within faith communities. So some people Mm -hmm. don't find that religious trauma fits their experience or they might not be ready to um, Mm -hmm. use a term like trauma. It might feel like uh I don't know, too extreme for them. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. But, you know, that whole spectrum of experience under adverse religious experiences is valid. And do you want to read the definitions that we... Oh, sure. Well, we can just read kind of the definitions for each. So religious trauma, we would define as the physical, emotional, or psychological response to religious beliefs, practices, or structures that overwhelm an individual's ability to cope and return to a sense of safety. So that's mm-hmm. really just the experience, the sensation of trauma in a religious context. Sure. So. It, it has a physiological impact on one's body. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of where we get the word trigger because it's like, you know, our body's response to these overwhelming stimuli that threaten our sense of safety or our essence mm-hmm. or relationships. Mm-hmm. So it's very uh, physical, um, mm-hmm. meaning our body has an uh, automatic response to something. Yeah. Yeah, the adverse religious experience, um, we really wanted to have another phrase mm-hmm. that was a little bit more inclusive mm-hmm. because we had a lot of folks reach out to us and say, well, I don't know if I have trauma. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that just because of maybe not even stigma, but just like the way that we often like think of when we hear the word trauma, mm-hmm. I think some people felt like, does my trauma qualify? Yeah. Does my experience qualify? <laughs> I felt that um, for a long time. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. And I think that also, like, for a lot of folks who are also in the process of deconstructing our privilege, it can feel a little bit like, am I appropriating this term? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or am I, you know, 
am I taking something on as part of my identity that's in somehow like, I don't know, claiming myself as a victim yeah, in yeah, places yeah. where maybe I also did have some power yeah. or right. maybe I did also inflict harm. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. I mean, it's a lot to carry, but the way we define an adverse religious experience is any experience of a religious belief, practice, or structure that undermines an individual's sense of safety or autonomy and or negatively impacts their physical, social, emotional, relational, or psychological well-being. Um, which is an incredibly broad, <laughs> and it's intentionally an incredibly broad definition because, again, it's any experience that was adverse, uncomfy, undesirable in a religious context. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. No, yeah, I think cool. that's great. I think, like, I think it, like you guys said, you want to be really inclusive. And I think that includes, like, so many more people than if you were to just talk about religious trauma, even if you don't mean what people think it means, like, when they first hear it. But that, that's really, I feel like, especially as, like, a new person leaving, like, a faith, like, any kind of, like, structure or whatever, like, I think that's a lot more of an approachable word or, like, a phrase Definitely. to hear. Than, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know why, but it, it took me a long time to acknowledge or to use that word trauma for myself. And I think something you said really stuck out to me that I always felt like somebody else has had it much worse than me. So, mm -hmm. like, how dare mm -hmm. I call what I went through trauma? Like, you know, um, because I, you know, it was hard leaving Christianity, of course, but like, I was never like physically abused. And I know people literally were physically abused or sexually abused or verbally mm -hmm. abused by parents or whatever. And so it's, it's felt really uncomfortable to group myself in with those people, mm -hmm. you know, but where if mm -hmm. I say I had an adverse religious experience, it's like, yeah, definitely. I, I definitely mm -hmm. had that. And I can, I can, you know, lean into that a little bit. Uh-huh. That's awesome. That yeah. was definitely our, our hope. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so what do you guys mean by the word reclamation? Um, how come you chose that term? Well, I think that initially with um, two other good friends of mine were, are kind of like the initial folks who I got together with to mm -hmm. kind of create this, to create a retreat. That's really how it's all started before okay. we were the Reclamation Collective. We were just three buddies who hosted a retreat okay. um, <laughs> around the concept of religious trauma. And um, one of my good friends, Lizzie, uh, is who kind of created that that phrase. She was like, well, why don't we call ourselves the Reclamation Collective? Because we're all about supporting people as they reclaim mm -hmm. any given part of their identity or practice or ritual or spirituality. Mm -hmm. Um, and we also have a definition of reclamation just because we believe in building language that mm -hmm. helps everyone know exactly what we're saying. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, we would say the rec reclamation is the process of claiming or reasserting a right to the personal expression of one's humanity. Mm. Um, so again, really broad, but I think that that speaks to autonomy. I think it speaks to chasing your pleasure. Um, and, yeah, just helping people just shed the shame that was that's literally like stored in our bodies. I think yeah. shame, like trauma, like white supremacy, I think all of that literally lives inside of our bodies. Yeah. Yeah. And it's our job then to like deconstruct it and try to extract it mm -hmm. as part of our reclamation journey is realizing where we've been either buying into belief systems that are harmful to ourselves and others. Um and where we've been complicit or engaged in processes that have been harmful to ourselves or others. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. I think for a lot of people, it includes both claiming for the first time something mm -hmm. that they never felt permission to even 
explore or mm. access or reclaiming, reasserting the right to something that maybe they let go of or mm -hmm. had to silence. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. I love that name. I think you guys were talking a little bit ago about retreats and I was just wondering like practically what is what do you guys do? Like what kind of groups do you have and like what kind of retreats do you do or have have started to do? Mm -hmm. We have facilitated two retreats so far mm -hmm. and we're about to have another one here in Minneapolis in February. And then we're actually going to have our first one um, in Nashville in March. Oh, exciting. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. And we'll give plugs for those two with yeah. a little bit more details of how you can register if you want to join us. But um, these retreats, honestly, I take, I, we select different workshops from our uh, support group curriculum. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of discussions that we're used to holding space for, but especially for folks who maybe wouldn't be able to access a weekly or every other weekly support group mm -hmm. for any reason, you know, parents or folks who don't live right here in the Twin Cities, it's a little bit more of an accessible opportunity to still engage in the conversations, have some time and space to deconstruct. Um, and for some folks, uh, many folks who come to our support groups then choose to come to a retreat because it's really just uninterrupted processing mm -hmm. time for two, yeah. maybe two and a half days okay. um, where, um, yeah, where you're just surrounded by other people who are um, processing some similar things and we're building mm -hmm. language together. Yeah. Um, which, which I also think that for me, at least, because a lot of my religious trauma is rooted in community contexts mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. kind of the loss of community safety, I think that there's something really powerful. But also, we have to be mindful that we're not creating our trauma, recreating <laughs> our trauma. Mm -hmm. um, but there's something powerful about trying to reclaim and heal in a community context mm -hmm. and kind of have some exposure to, like, how do we intentionally create mm -hmm. a conversation and have community elements to that that are not codependent how do we contract for safety how do we talk about how everyone has their right to their own boundaries to their own autonomy and everyone's on their own pace and deconstruction journey like how do we name that and use language that people can then incorporate into other relationships leaving a retreat like ours and mm -hmm. be like oh this is where I have not contracted for safety in this relationship. Yeah. Or this is where I have not set a boundary that respects my autonomy and allows me to chase my pleasure. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. and I, I know you guys have probably already thought about this because I think I heard you touch on it, but like for like in recreating trauma for me, when I, whenever I think about retreats now, it's really hard for me to want to go to them because like you imagine uh, some person talking to you up on a stage, you know, and you're like taking notes or whatever. And then like, I don't know, like, I don't know, just groups, being yeah. with everybody there and like, everybody's like into a certain thing that maybe you're kind of forcing into it. And I know that. Yeah. So like, how, how are you guys doing that differently? I guess like I, I imagine you're doing more like discussion where everybody's just like allowed to, you know, say how they feel more so than those retreats. But I, I feel like I always feel scared to go to retreats because I'm scared of mm -hmm. losing my autonomy. Mm -hmm. Autonomy. Is that the right word there? Like, yeah, yeah just like my, absolutely. Mm -hmm. what, how do you, how would you define that actually autonomy? Mm -hmm. mm. That's a good question. I mean, I think, I'm just taking, I'm totally speaking from the hip here, but like uh, the ability to say what um, one thinks and feels and believes uh, mm -hmm. without um, feeling 
like threatened to silence that in oh, okay. any way. And yeah. I also think that incorporates knowing what your needs are and your limits and your boundaries for self and in relationship. Mm-hmm. So it's that idea of like, do I know kind of my bubble? Do I know where I end and where I begin? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, cool. And can I speak to that? Mm-hmm. So your retreats, I'm sure I've taken an account for that because like you understand how that feels for people. So how are your retreats yes. kind of like different in that way? Mm-hmm. Well, for one, we just say over and over, like, we don't have a message. Mm -hmm. Like, we don't have any, like, also, right now, the emphasis is really on discussion-based conversations. Mm -hmm. While we're both clinically licensed therapists, right now, we're not doing a ton of psychoeducation work in the support group setting. We do offer workshops, which is a little bit different in that it's less community Mm -hmm. building as the intention. So workshops, I feel like we can do a little bit more psychoeducation in a safe way because there, it might be more perceived as a message or like, this Mm -hmm. is a professional speaking to this, you know, topic or theme. Whereas I really want our retreats and our support groups to really be about discussion that kind of decentralizes the facilitator Mm -hmm. as like having the niche on any, or the answer or guidance for anyone's deconstruction journey. We're Mm -hmm. really trying to honor um, one of the, you know, ways that we contract for safety with all of our groups, whether it's at a retreat or a support group, is I always ask that folks, please not speak into someone else's mm-hmm. deconstruction journey. Mm-hmm. We really emphasize what I call uninterrupted processing time. So if someone is sharing something that's part of their journey, their deconstruction, their reclamation, whether you relate to it or not, that is not the space for for you to speak into someone else's journey unless they ask for it. Mm-hmm. Oh, so I always do hold space for like, do, does anyone want to consult or pose a question to the group where you kind of want to have some guidance or advice or, mm-hmm. you know, things spoken into your journey mm-hmm. or your options, you yeah. know, but that can be so traumatizing for those of us who had a lot of unwarranted advice yeah, spoken yeah. into us mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that to just have courageous vulnerability and share something and then have people take a stance on it that's so traumatic yeah yeah um and it's so invalidating <laughs> that's right. so weird i feel like that's something that's been, like really struggling i've been struggling with lately i didn't even know that was a thing like just like that you're just kind of like fed i'm i feel like at points i'm just like fed up with advice i feel like i just yeah. want to share what i feel and like i don't yeah. want anybody to like tell me like what to do about it i just like all i need to do is like just to say what I think. I mean, like it's more, it's so much more than Mm -hmm. that. I can't even express it, but like how you just said it there, I think that's really important for, I don't know. I can imagine people Mm -hmm. relating to that who've gone through like just similar paths as us and Mm -hmm. all of that, just like kind of sick of always like saying something and you like, they always have that fix, like that kind of fix that makes that person seem like they're so much like kind of better than you Mm -hmm. and that they completely understand your situation. When like, I always feel like, no, you don't really know what, Mm -hmm. I'm experiencing to be able to say to speak that into my life and that was like always so painful for me yeah you know absolutely so that's, I'm really glad you mentioned that that sounds so fun yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah I would say that essentially everything we do is based on consent and and getting oh, yeah. consent mm-hmm. um and everything also is is totally challenged by choice so there is no expectation that people mm-hmm. Um, people only participate at the level that feels like authentic and safe mm-hmm. and healthy for them. And mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. 
yeah, it's totally up to each individual partner and we're a participant and we're, you know, entrusting them to trust their own body and their own intuition. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so great. Sounds very different from any of the church retreats I've ever been to. Yes. So, <laughs> yeah. I think we're all good. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we've sh- certainly received we've certainly received that feedback too. That like just using the word yes. retreat can then bring up some triggers for some yeah. people. Like, oh but my what, god, why what other word can you use? It's it's hard. Yeah. Like it's hard to stay away from all of that stuff. So I mean, yeah. Yes. Religion mm-hmm. claimed a lot of words. They take. Like, they took a lot. Yeah. Because yes. you've mentioned <laughs> so, the word accountability early, earlier, and I really uh, like the word, like the concept of that word. I really like. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's kind of like it's shot. For when me you now. think about it, I've yeah, had you. too many <laughs> accountability partners, uh-huh. and it's. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got to find new language. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah. so I was going to say, shifting gears a little bit, um, we have a lot of people who are listening who have just recently left the faith or have recently stopped going to church and they're kind of at square run, square one. They haven't really done any purposeful like healing work um, and just feel isolated and lost mm-hmm. and alone. Um, and I was wondering what advice you two would have for someone in that position. Just where to start? Mm. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a great question. Well, whenever I'm asked for advice in this season, as I'm <laughs> navigating new concepts, there's not like best practice mm-hmm. written out right now for this. Mm-hmm. I want to be very mindful um, about how I give advice. Mm-hmm. Um, this is me taking inventory of the power of being someone who's being asked for advice mm-hmm. on this topic. I do think that a lot of us were really either shamed or weren't even conscious that we could tap into our own intuition. Mm -hmm. And so that was, we're not often in the practice of like communing with our inner child or listening to our bodies or listening to our intuition. And so I think that those of us who are, are newer to celebrating our autonomy and listening to our intuition and chasing our pleasure I think that it's really important for us to um, to just be finding places to process that, whether that's on your own, if you're more of a individual processor or inner processor, um, or if you are more of a verbal processor, seeking out relationships and connections with people who can um, who can hopefully appreciate your journey, whether it's relatable or not to them. Um, and this is also where I would highly encourage if you're able to access, if you're in a position to access, a, you know, licensed mental health professional, a therapist or, um, yeah, but someone who's licensed. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to just make that really clear. <laughs> um, I have some feelings about that. Um, but someone who can have a trauma-informed kind of understanding of how we hold trauma in the body. And even if they're not familiar with religious trauma, Mm -hmm. then um, just just say, like, I need to to start extracting some of this trauma from my body and figuring out where I've stored it. Um, Because it's going to show up in your relationships. It's going to show up in your mental health. It's going to show up in, um, honestly, how you access, like, pleasure and happiness. Mm -hmm. So... I think to get doing the work, wherever you find safety to do that, um, just be mindful about trying to put language to it, naming like, oh, I feel unsafe or I feel um, judged or I don't trust myself right now to make a decision. Yeah. And just giving language to it, being mm-hmm. mindful of like where it's showing up. Sure. Mm-hmm. Cool. Mm-hmm. 
Another related question uh, I'll pose to you too is um, a lot of people want to get into therapy and want to have a therapist, but just have no clue, like literally no clue what to do. I don't know. Uh, do you guys have any advice on where people can start? Okay. I have um, to, our therapist search 101. Whoa, yes. look at that. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I mean, I, I was just going to piggyback off of what Kayla said before about, you know, where to start. I think this is intimately connected to your question of like, how do I find a therapist that's going to be affirming and mm -hmm. um, empathic to my journey? Exactly. And mm -hmm. One of the things I, th this is the one piece of advice I would give is like find people and spaces, whether even if that's just like yourself in your room with your journal, like where your experience and questions and feelings and emotions can be held without judgment. Mm -hmm. um, because I think for so many of us, the process of even stepping out to ask a question is terrifying. Mm -hmm. So this whole process needs to be like surrounded with people who can truly hold it without uh, an agenda or judgment or um like speaking into it without being asked so and i think that goes for a therapist too like mm -hmm. finding somebody that is willing to sit with you in your process however that looks and does not have an agenda for where you're going to end up um you know m a month or six months or three years down the road mm -hmm. yeah other than helping you pursue your own internal mm -hmm. healing mm -hmm. in the way you want to claim it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which, in theory, all trauma-informed yes. therapists have that capacity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I also think that a really important piece for this demographic is, like, empowering us also. Like, we have the power in those relationships with a therapist. We hire and fire that person mm -hmm. from yeah. how we get to decide how much power they're going to have over mm -hmm. our, our, well, influencing us, mm -hmm. right? Or, mm -hmm. um, And I think that... Um, it's okay on the front end to ask your therapist whatever you want to know about them, whatever you need to know to know that like I can feel safe. When I interviewed my therapist on well, the first time I met her, I asked like, how do you feel about feminism? And I asked questions. I shared like I have some religious trauma and I'm just building language for it. Yeah. Do you feel comfortable? Is that going to trigger anything for you? Mm -hmm. AKA, are, is it going to be hard for you to mm -hmm. stomach someone really processing a lot of bitterness and anger and resentment towards this particular um, faith system? Mm -hmm. yeah. And so I think it's important to ask those questions. And Absolutely. each therapist also has, you know, they have autonomy and they get to choose their boundaries too for what they are and aren't willing to share about their life. But I think it's okay to ask, like, well, first of all, are you a licensed therapist? Second of all, are you trauma informed? You know, are you someone who's prepared to talk about trauma, how we hold it in our body, how we extract it, how we release it? And hopefully have some training, specific yeah. training around being a trauma informed therapist. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then last, the, well, third, do you validate that religious trauma is trauma? Mm, okay. um, and honestly, you might have some therapists who say no. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think right now we're hoping to change this as the Reclamation Collective, but there's not really that much training for clinicians mm -hmm. available on this topic, which is also part of why we want to focus on clinicians as one of our primary demographics, mm -hmm. because that's a quick way to influence change across the country. Right. Um, so you get clinicians on board. And then lastly, do you have experience working with insert any additional intersectional identities or symptoms. So also 
if you're a trans person, if you're a queer person, if you're if you're also wanting to process some sexual trauma, if anything additional that you know is going to be a big part of what you have to process and deconstruct, you can name that too and say, do you have experience working with this demographic? Mm-hmm. Um, because obviously no person is going to just talk about religious trauma. Yeah. It, it's so, it plays into so many other realms yeah. of our identities. Um, so, and, and if you don't feel comfortable with a therapist, don't hire them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I think that's super helpful. Yes. Those questions actually were really helpful. I don't think that many people assume that you can just, I don't know why not, but I feel like, yeah, like, you don't. I don't even think about that. Like outright asking all of these questions. Do you have experience with this, this and this? And like, can I talk about this? Like in a way that I can feel safe. And I think that those questions were actually like really, really helpful for yeah. people looking for a therapist. Mm-hmm. Cause I really relate to that. I mean, like, we- like, feeling like a therapist is an authority over you and you kind of just need to listen to what they tell you as opposed to thinking of your therapist as someone that you're hiring specifically to help you with a problem. Mm -hmm. And if they're not a great fit for you, then that's Mm -hmm. fine. And you can let them go and find someone else. Um, Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really helpful. We were all trained to give our power away. And so a big Mm -hmm. part of, well, I don't want to say all of us, but a lot of people are socialized. We're socialized yeah. to give their their power away, and so mm-hmm. it it is really about reclaiming that I have the autonomy to to mm-hmm. to say yes to you and to invite you into whatever space I want you in my life, and to and to mm-hmm. close the door when it's no longer appropriate. Yeah, mm-hmm. so, yeah, and that includes a therapist. And mm-hmm. a therapist can be healthy for a season, yes, and not healthy for another season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like so. I think that that's another piece, too, that many of us also were socialized to just accept things for what they are and just be like, well, this is just how it is. Mm -hmm. And if you're feeling uncomfortable or invalidated or, um, yeah, in any way that your, like, autonomy is not being respected, like, get out of it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Do your best. You know, try try to get out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great to hear. It's it's nice to feel like you have permission to do that, you know, and it's it's hard to really mm-hmm. feel that. But we have permission. We have yeah. permission from Kayla and Kendra. Now. That's right. To get a good therapist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so before we like wrap up and talk about where we can find you and like find out about your events, is there anything else that we haven't asked you that you guys want to talk about? Mm-hmm. So I'll share kind of um I've been so excited by the work I've been doing with spiritual abuse specifically and kind of just really focusing on this specific concept and thing that comes up for a lot of people. I've um a, a good friend and colleague of mine here in the Twin Cities, my friend Sophia, her and I started holding space monthly for women who have experienced spiritual abuse. Um, and we want this to be a safe space for women specifically because I do think that within the patriarchy, within gender roles um, that have been socialized for many of us from particularly fundamentalist uh, faith-based circles, um, there's a lot of vulnerability and a lot of victim blaming and a lot of silencing. Mm-hmm. So it's been really powerful doing this work and it's been so eye-opening for me coming from the Reclamation Collective, finding that so many folks are showing up who don't necessarily have spir- have have experienced spiritual abuse outside of a religious context. Okay. Oh, interesting. So it's really helped me realize where my connection is to recreating my religious trauma 
mm-hmm. in non-religious contexts, okay. right? Finding new communities where I project this power onto a leader or a friend mm-hmm. or a partner, mm-hmm. right? I'm recreating those codependent mm-hmm. systems in other contexts mm-hmm. that aren't necessarily religious. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just going to share a little piece of that, that I met folks who are coming from like yoga or mm-hmm. yogi guru, you know, Mm-hmm. communities or mm-hmm. have a guru that has abused their trust. Mm-hmm. I've had folks come from um, sacred medicine communities, you know, where they're practicing with these really powerful medicines that help, you know, lift consciousness and self-love. And yet in those contexts, sometimes, you know, leaders, shamans, etc., are also abusing their power mm-hmm. um, when folks are in a particularly vulnerable state or... Yeah following a really vulnerable state mm-hmm. where um, there's a sense of trust projected on this person that I had such a beautiful, safe experience. Surely you'll never abuse that, yeah. you know? Um, and then also folks just from like actual more like commune culty situations, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Not necessarily religious, mm-hmm. but still there's this system of we all, have this obligation to believe this thing or yeah. to practice this way or to access inner peace, relational harmony in this way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's another piece why I just really want to help raise consciousness around how we recreate our trauma because there are so many communities and cult that are totally prepared to invite us in and make Mm -hmm. us feel super welcome and wanted and part of it. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's so easy for us to lose our autonomy when Mm -hmm. that's what's been socialized into us over and over. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. Yeah. 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 Completely see that. And I I agree. So how would you differentiate spiritual abuse from religious abuse? Or how does, how is religious abuse different from spiritual abuse? Just because it's from a religion. Mm -hmm. that really is what i would say it's the difference is like spiritual abuse is like more generally the definition um well actually i can read you guys the definition for Mm -hmm. spiritual abuse we say it's the conscious or unconscious use of power to direct control or manipulate another's body thoughts emotions actions or commute or capacity for choice Mm -hmm. freedom or autonomy of self within a spiritual or religious context Mm -hmm. so i would say religious abuse is certainly within our definition of spiritual abuse, but we just want to hold space and be as inclusive as possible and validate. You maybe weren't in a religious context when you were the victim of spiritual abuse. I see. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. And I also noticed that both of you use the terms deconstruction and deconversion uh, differently. And I know Katie and I are always, we kind of are using them interchangeably just because we don't have good definitions for Mm -hmm. either of them. But Mm -hmm. I was wondering how you guys think of those two words. Mm Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, part of our our thought process around uh, creating language is just honoring that people may come to uh, a certain conclusion or certain Mm -hmm. like kind of checkpoint in their process and deconstruction, you know, the breaking down of previously held beliefs may or may not ultimately lead in a deconversion. Mm -hmm. So a leaving of the faith. Um, 
And we want to be honoring and uh, welcoming of people that may deconstruct but not leave their faith mm-hmm. or make deconstruct and ultimately lead to a deconversion. So mm-hmm. we we define deconstruction as the process of evaluating and altering one's previously held beliefs, lifestyle, relationship, or worldview. And then deconversion is the process of releasing or no longer claiming one's previously held religious beliefs or identity. Mm. So, you know, they definitely are, are can be connected, but one does not necessarily uh, result in the other. Okay. Sure. People can have a, a deconstruction process, but not deconvert. Which okay, is also yes. why we title most of our support groups to be like a deconstruction support group, because we want to be inclusive mm-hmm. of folks who may be... Yeah don't want to assume that deconversion is what they're working towards. They mm-hmm. might really not be working towards um, kind of shedding themselves of all of their mm-hmm. like spiritual or religious practices or their community. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. And, and that might be because someone's not ready. It also might be because that's not right for them. Yeah. And mm-hmm. we want to respect that. <laughs> yeah, amazing. So. Cool. Cool. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, something that I like mm-hmm. have been noticing lately and just like wondering like what, they both mean I know. so now i'm we really know. happy that you were able to let us know <laughs> yeah um cool. so let's wrap up and talk about where we can find you guys and like maybe some of your upcoming events and all of that if you'd like to share absolutely well i think one of the big pieces is that in the next few months we hope to have the launch of our website mm-hmm. um and on that we're going to have uh, a great resource for people to um that we'll be building over the next months and and years mm-hmm. is building um a therapist directory for people to to find access and connection to trauma-informed clinicians um and right Amazing. now if people say are in a different state um please please feel free to email us um and ask for support and kind of connecting with a therapist in your area we absolutely try our best to mm-hmm. set people up in that way cool yeah. Um, yeah so we're hoping to launch that shortly um but also right now the easiest way to get a hold of us is or to see what we have coming up mm-hmm. is certainly on our instagram um and our Facebook page. So it's just Reclamation Collective on Instagram and on Facebook. And then if you want to email us, you can just email us at reclamationcollective at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now we're going to be honest. Our therapist directory is pretty, um, pretty slim pickings and about 25 people. Yeah. On there. And, and that's across the country. And while we're so thankful mm-hmm. that we're like starting to generate this, this directory, mm-hmm. it's also just super motivating for us and eye opening that, mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I, I've asked my therapist, would you feel comfortable with us adding you to this list? Mm-hmm. And even though she spent the last four years helping someone through deconstruction, I think that, um, a lot of therapists just need to have their confidence built, yeah. you know, by saying mm-hmm. like, you, if you're trauma informed, you can apply all of that to religious trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you really can. And so I think it's, it's going to take some training and some holding space for therapists, which is on our agenda for 2020. Um, but we just started actually an online support group for emotional holders, um, which would include energy workers in general, certainly clinicians, certainly anyone who has a loud voice right now speaking to this topic. Mm-hmm. Um, because we want to make sure that those of us who are setting ourselves up to emotionally hold this demographic are also getting space to be emotionally held ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. 
That's amazing. That's amazing. And 25 so, doesn't sound that small to me. I know. Especially because you, you guys just you're starting, like, that sounds like a lot. I was like, that's a lot better than zero. Yeah. Just like sitting at the blank Google <laughs> page, yeah. wondering what to type in. So, yeah, that's yeah. great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And certainly, if anyone listening, yeah. um, you know, has had a really positive experience processing deconstruction, deconversion, religious trauma, et cetera, with a therapist, please, um, you can seek your therapist's consent for sure, but see if you can get us in contact with them if they would like to be added to our list. Um, we really also, like I said, anything about us without us is not for us. Mm-hmm. So if people within this demographic can help um, guide us mm-hmm. to folks that we actually can put our name behind and say, like, yep, we support this or we, we've, you know, gotten positive feedback that this therapist yeah. is going to really hold mm-hmm. respectful, inclusive space. Um we, we trust the demographic, obviously, more mm-hmm. than anyone else. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. So, cool. So with that being said, we have a couple of things coming up. We're actually starting an online support group tomorrow for the mm-hmm. winter. So um, probably by the time folks are listening to this, mm-hmm. we will probably not have openings for our online support group right now. But we will have another online support group starting probably in the March-April mm-hmm. um, time frame. Awesome. So folks can register for that. You can still get hooked up with that on our Instagram and Facebook. Hopefully by that time in the year, we'll have a a website that'll be much easier to register. And then also we have two retreats coming up Um, from February 21st to the 23rd. We have a retreat here in the Twin Cities. Um, That's called Retreat Water. And so that retreat you can also register for online. Um, And then March 13th and the 14th. We, which is a Friday and Saturday, we're going to be having a retreat in Nashville. Um, so for folks who are more kind of in that geographic area or folks that can more easily mm-hmm. access Nashville um, than the Twin Cities, that would be another option. Cool. And I think we're going to run those both pretty similarly with um, a couple of workshops that are um, kind of good starting spaces to kind of work through some deconstruction. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Awesome. Cool. Well, yeah, for those of you listening, we'll put a bunch of links to all this stuff in the episode description so you can mm-hmm. easily find these two. Um, yeah, we want to thank you guys so yeah. much for yeah. um, just having this conversation with us. I feel like there's a lot of good stuff here, and I feel mm-hmm. like, I don't know, it would have been something that I would be really interested in finding when I was first, you know, doing my deconstruction. Yeah. So I'm really, mm-hmm. I don't know, makes me feel like really excited and just like I think the whole process of this is just feeling less alone and like just the community of it mm-hmm. is what's a huge part and um I just feel like it's a really good thing that you guys are creating. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Thank, Thank you. you. Cool. All right. Well I think yeah. we'll wrap up there. Yeah. Um awesome. thank you both so much. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. And we'll okay. talk to you soon. We'll talk later. <laughs>